Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, buddy, welcome back to the podcast. Another week in the books. Another week of lockdown. Although big news, at least as far as you and I are concerned, they named the team. (laughs) I saw your tweet about it looking. I I actually thought the same thing. Um, My dad is a graphic designer and he called out the same concern as well, which was like, it really does look like the Red Sox, White Sox. Chicago White Sox. White Sox like, so what we're talking about for the six or eight people who may not know is the ice hockey team has landed in Seattle and they are now called the Kraken. So, Which was out of all the names I preferred it the most and also likely mean that they'll be serving Kraken there in the bars, which I actually like as well. So, Is that a local beverage? Uh, I mean, it's popular in bar. You know, like different cities have different like drinks that are common, like Jack Daniels and Coke or whatever, like Kraken is is a popular one in the bars around here. Is that a sponsorship opportunity? I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> I suspect it's likely. I mean, it would be very silly for them not to do it, right? Yeah. Lots of execs boasting, boasting what their uh, club seat view looks like. They're all announcing all their seats. So I need to start smooching with some of these people that I know have t- tickets to get invites. That's going to be my plan for them once the season starts. Right, so lots of news this week. The, starting off with uh, some uh, Teams-related stuff. Breaking changes for Teams APIs in beta. So I, I found this noteworthy because a lot of the Teams APIs are in beta as the, as the product matures. So if you've been working on stuff around that, so it's certainly worth looking into. Good things, uh, the installing a personal app is included, and then there's some unused properties that, that are kind of cleaned up. So it's kind of a nice uh, stuff to see there. Good to see the, the, the Teams team moving further along. Yeah, I, I, I'm really liking the fact that each workload is doing this now on the graph. We got a lot of feedback that, yeah, it's beta, we have the right to change things, but wouldn't it be nice if we let people know when, it, when these are things are happening? And so um, doing this upfront via the blog post, informing people is super useful. So um, another, yeah, another reason to add the Microsoft Graph blog as an RSS feed. And this one is actually more relevant and addressing a lot of people. So if I want to install a, a Teams app for a user, previously I needed user readwrite.all and now I can have Teams app installed that readwrite for user. So I don't need to have such a, a wide scope of my permissions to do one little thing. So everyone who's been hollering about, you know, group readwrite or sort of should be happy that we're making good progress here. So it's great to see. Yeah, the going to a more like least privileged model where we have permission scopes for particular scenarios and moving away from these big group rewrite or admin consent brick wall type things is uh, you know what we're trying to do across the whole thing. So that's great. So the next uh, new thing, SharePoint Framework has a new release, version 1.11. Uh, coincidentally, just timed with Inspire because it now does some support for uh, putting manifest properties for app source <laughs> to get things into the marketplace. So <laughs> nice to see that. Um, we, we should put something in our diary to, to get an expert on here because there's a note about the local workbench. So um, we should probably find someone to give us a clarification on what's happening there. But there's, there's some updates to that. They've also improved some of the team's 
capabilities that you can write using SharePoint Framework and then hit the magic button to push to Teams. So for those of you in the SharePoint Framework world, there's a new version out. And and uh, we chatted with Waldeck, uh, which will be coming out in a few weeks, and he, their, their, their uh, CLI command to update you is all ready to rock and roll too. So that's good stuff to see rolling on. Yeah, I, I like the fact that we're pushing more and more things into AppSource to get more visibility there. I think the more we keep doing that, the more customers are likely to go and use AppSource and discover these things and then click to pull, deploy them into their tenants. So it's good that we're doing that work around SPFX because that was one of the big kind of like when we started doing that framework of like, ah, we don't have a store scenario here. And so I'm glad they're getting to that now with kind of promoting it there. Yeah. Uh, the next item near and dear to my heart, well, there's a couple like that, but uh, Vincent posted about a change to the duration of change tracking tokens for identity and education resources. This uh, regards to Delta Link. So as as you have and many others have said, don't don't be polling the graph all the time. You should be using the, the Delta query feature to see what's changed. And previously... The token. So when I when I query Delta, I get a token back that says, you know, here's your point in time. Use this token next time you call me, and I'll give you the changes. That lifetime was for 30 days, and it has shrunk down to seven, which is kind of a big deal. So if you're using Delta Query to get information about identity resources, so users and groups, you're going to want to fix that and make sure you you knock on the door at least every 6.9 days instead of 30. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely uh, we we try and stay as consistent as possible, and this one is definitely flagged as uh, why are we doing this for some workloads and not others, um, and I we're still discussing internally kind of what this actually means more broadly as a consistent thing across the graph, but. One thing is for sure in me scouring forums and helping people is that there's a lot of people who get confused about Delta's. We have a really good MS Learn um, course module on this. And so if you are looking at this, I'd highly recommend to go check out the Delta um, module as well. You know, and this is actually better because for identity, like group membership and some user stuff, they, they change pretty much. Waiting every 30 days to synchronize that data probably is doing a disservice in your, in your app. So. Yeah, and I think the scenario is the same with education as well. And so that's, that's why in these two instances it has reduced. So I don't think that's a, a, a big thing. Um, another Microsoft Graph thing, the Graph Schema extensions are now available in U.S. government clouds. So I guess that's just following on to the work that we've seen in the commercial clouds for some time, right? Yeah, and we're trying to make sure that all the clouds are the same and we have PMs that are like driving this work at the moment. So that, you know, as an ISV or a dev in an enterprise that when you build something, you don't get like kind of tripped up by, oh, schema extensions aren't available in the US government cloud, but they are in the big commercial one. And so there's a bunch of stuff we're doing there to kind of fill those gaps. And there is a good page in our docs that kind of highlights, you know, what is supported and what isn't supported. So you kind of know that up front, which is cool. Um, next one's kind of a big deal. I know you're a big fan of the implicit flow and identity, right? I'm a, I'm a big fan <laughs> of all that stuff and working out all the different names they use for different sign-ins and flows. Forget about the implicit flow. So some time ago, and I'm sure many people have run into this, there was some in, uh, strengthening of how browsers would handle cookies from across different domains. 
which is kind of how the the bad actors would track you. And so that that did pose some issues with uh, using the implicit flow. And so mcell.js is now released version 2.0, which is generally available, and that helps you use the new and improved thing, which is called basic, it's basically authorization code over for browsers, which has got some mumbo jumbo around certificates behind the scenes to make it work. But long story short, if implicit flow is breaking in your user's browsers, the solution is to use this new mcell.js 2.0 that does a, a better way to to get the token that you would need and uh off you go and so uh, i've used this library and i can't speak to what it used to be version one because i never used the implicit flow version one libraries personally i always on server side but uh, it's been working great and uh it's certainly something to keep your eye on I, I love that the identity platform team is watching this stuff so i don't have to they just push a new version and boom i get it and off we go yeah, and there's a quick start and a tutorial at the bottom of that blog post. Um, and so I think you still have to click the settings in the application, the AAD application to configure it for those set, those approaches. But they've just improved the browser capability of how it handles it so that it doesn't get stuck with the cookie, cookie scenarios. We have heard that a fair bit with spars. Spars are becoming... You know, well, they've been popular for a while, but they're definitely very, very popular in enterprises at the moment. Yeah, and that reminds me, I didn't put a link in this one, but I I actually was go I went through the Microsoft.identity.web library that you know we had uh Christos and, oh, and yeah. John on a few episodes yeah, yeah. back and their their tutorial is great. It actually they detail what is added to the out of the box, you know, if I do .net new project, I get something and then I add things to it cuz cuz inevitably Every sample does a .NET new, and here's their thing. SignalR does this, and MVC does that, and Identity does some other thing. And how do you put them all together? So I love that their samples. I, offline, I'll probably I'll send you a link to that if you haven't seen it. It'd be great to get some of that kind of feedback in other areas that I don't know how much you can influence. But yeah, I'd love to see what you thought was a good good scenario, a good structure that we can imply on our graph ones too. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I was just a shout out to to Christos and John and and their their whole team about the great work that they're doing there. So so that's it from Microsoft. We have a one community link this week michael crum who although I, you know what i don't know if michael's uh, at microsoft or not but he has a, a website that's azure tips and tricks and tip number 268 <laughs> covers uh, the power of virtual agents and bot framework and it's uh, helpful to to tie these two things together so number one there's a ton of great tips in here 270 plus at the time we're recording um, so this is nice to have a step-by-step -step. just little, again, it's not a lot to digest a little, like I said, it's tips. How can we connect P power virtual agent to a bot framework skill, which I think is going to be a big thing. And, um, it's great to get a, a kickoff on that. Yeah, it's cool. And the scenario he does is the bot asks for a tip and it randomly just picks the number tip, or you can say what tip number you want and it actually responds with the link. You can click on the answer. So it's kind of clever the way he's, it's a very simple bot, but yeah, handy for that kind of scenario. Yep, terrific stuff. And that kind of leads into our show this week. So speaking of, of bot, um, the bot virtual assistant went GA back at build. And Gary Pretty, who was on uh, back in the Ignite time frame, Gary was gracious to come back on. And he brought a colleague of his, uh, Dwayne, 
Dwayne Robinson, and the two of them talk about virtual assistant and skills and the solution accelerator stuff. And of course, I had a, you know, since I work in this space, I had a ton of questions about dialogues and uh, generation and all kinds of composer and stuff like that. So they did, they were gracious enough to go through a lot of that to help you know, someone like me get up to speed on it. And it's wonderful talk. And so I, again, it's uh, great to see people moving along and, and give us some great content. Yeah, I appreciate you. I let you to geek out on this one. I, I did a lot with virtual uh, assistants when I, it was built two years ago. And uh, it was early days back then, but it's really matured. And there's a lot of graph skills in there that I'm happy we've got right, kind of very easy to plug in. So I'm excited to actually sit down and listen to this show. Well, it's not all 100% easy, but it's certainly getting there. <laughs> it's, better. it's getting better. Yeah. I will listen to the show and hold my judgment then. Yeah. Well, in another testament to great documentation, I took um, the sample code for the virtual assistant and the to-do skill and ran a couple hundred thousand conversations through a test harness just to see the performance. And it took me, you know, a couple days just to, to get through all that. So it was great to get bootstrapped and up and going. So, yeah, good stuff. So thanks to Gary and Dwayne. And uh, off we go. We just got more shows lined up. Keep them coming hot and fast. So uh, any feedback you guys you guys and gals have, it'd be appreciated. And we'll get you some good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Paul. All right, have a good weekend. So this week on the podcast, we have a couple of folks from the Bot Framework team. We have Gary Pretty. Welcome back, Gary. And Dwayne Robinson. Welcome. So, uh, Dwayne, why don't you give us a quick in uh, introduction of who you are and what exactly you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm a principal program manager in our conversational AI organization. Uh, and I work uh, primarily on the virtual assistant solution accelerator that uh, we have been producing and just went GA. Excellent. And how about you, Gary? Have we refreshed people as to who you are? Welcome back. And uh, what's your role? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's great to be back. So I'm Gary Pretty. I'm a senior um, software engineer on the Bot Framework SDK team. All right. And so this week, we'll, we'll be talking about the Spot Virtual Assistant. And just as a recap for newer listeners, you know, Gary, he was on the show back, I believe, on Ignite timeframe. And, and we're talking about Bot Framework updates. And, and the Bot Virtual Assistant was just announced back then. So now that we've come closer, the guys have come back to, to give us more details. So obviously, first question is, what is the Virtual Assistant and why do I care? <laughs> yeah. So at Microsoft, we got a lot of ask for say a white label Cortana was the initial kind of ask that we were getting. And what we really found out was people were really trying to be able to take and build their own virtual assistant. And there's a lot of reasons for wanting to do that when you want to really own the whole experience, you want to own the voice font, you want to really have its own personality or embed it into your own devices. And so what we kind of ran into was we had all the components to do that, but we never really assembled them all to make it easier for developers or uh, just customers in general to be able to take that and be able to build their own uh, white label virtual assistant that would allow them to really do the things that they wanted to do and have complete control. And so that's why uh, we built what we built. And uh, now it's in the form of like a solution accelerator that just went general availability at build. So we're really excited about it. And we think it really will open up the doors and drive a lot of adoption for customers, whether they don't have to start from zero and have to assemble everything themselves. Uh, it allows them to really get, get going right out of the gate. And so I'm going to interpret a solution accelerator to mean it's source code and not necessarily an installer. Is that fair? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, think of it that right now it's completely an open source project on GitHub. And of course, we'll be providing links and things along with the podcast. So uh, definitely you should go check it out and take a look at it. It's got a lot of templates and things available uh, currently you'll see that uh, it has installation scripts and everything. So you can basically get a full-on uh, virtual assistant in about a 20-minute effort. Uh, and you don't have to be like super advanced as a developer to be able to get that up and going uh, right out of the box. Yeah, and, and I think it's worth calling out here that the, uh, the virtual assistant solution accelerator is uh, entirely built on top of the bot framework SDK. And the way it's uh, the way it's constructed, or the the way it's actually uh, formed, is you have a, a core bot. Um, so that's your bot that's going to handle things like the greeting. Um, you know, when a, when a, a user joins the conversation, it's going to handle uh, you know welcoming them to the conversation. All of those good best practices um, that we should be following when we're doing our conversation design. It's going to handle um, things for you like a cancellation. So if the user at any point says, um, you know. I want to cancel when they're in the middle of a flow or they want to do some, you know, they want to switch context, for example. But that's the core bot. And then what you do is you plug in, and I think we spoke about these last time, you plug in bot framework skills into your core bot to extend the capabilities. And a skill is just another bot, um, but it's a way of uh, splitting up your um, conversation into sort of logical pieces. So you have your core bot, and then which is going to handle all of those sort of core conversational components. And then maybe in a uh, HR scenario, for example, you might plug in a, a holiday booking bot. Um, in a, an employee scenario, you might book in a, a calendar skill, for example, to allow um, uh, people to manage their calendar, book meetings, etc. And the, the Virtual Assistant Solution Accelerator contains not only that core bot, which is uh, going to handle all of those sort of common best practices so that you don't need to start from scratch. It's going to also provide you, if you go to the GitHub repo, and we can provide links afterwards, with a number of out-of-the-box skills like calendar um, and to-do uh, to allow you to, instead of, you know, one thing we noticed and one of the reasons the Virtual Assistant Solution Accelerator exists is that we noticed that there were a number of common use cases that people were starting from scratch over and over again um, for things like Office 365 calendar integration. And so we set out to actually build those in a consistent manner using the best practices that we've gleaned over the last few years when we've been working with uh, you know real customers large enterprises um, and make those skills available so that you don't need to start from scratch if you want to do office 365 and calendar integration just go and grab the calendar skill and plug it into your virtual assistant the great thing is because it's open source you can take what um, we've built and then if you need to modify it you, you're absolutely free to do that um, but really it's about it's almost like a, you can think of it like a starter kit Okay, and and one thing that pops into my mind as you're mentioning this, right? I, I I've heard and seen larger organizations get a lot of proliferation of bots. You know, one for HR, one for line of business, one for this, one for that. And and I've I've struggled with people trying to say I've got so many icons in my Microsoft Teams of all these different apps. So it sounds like virtual assistant could help me if I want to refactor my organizational bots into a single one. Is that am I on the right track there? Yeah. 
Yeah, Paul. So a, a common thing that we run into with a lot of our large enterprises, if you go, recall back in the day, we used to have uh, websites, the intranet websites, and you would have just a ton of different intranet websites and everybody was like, well, where do I go to be able to do this? So a real common scenario in what we call, what we're calling enterprise assistant, which is an implementation of a virtual assistant that has already got the common enterprise uh, skills plugged in. A lot of what we're seeing is these large organizations coming back and saying, I really need to have one bot that rules them all, just like you would do with websites and a portal and having a common intranet. So we're seeing a lot of push to go that direction. And a lot of the way that we have that core and sub bot component has really allowed uh, these organizations to be able to pull that together. And even in what you'll see us do as we go forward, you'll see us focus in on being able to do things like deploy not only just a virtual assistant and the core, but also be able to deploy an entire enterprise assistant that has the common skills in it, as well as the ability to add and modify the things that you would like as as you would you would like for your enterprise assistant like plugging in your own existing uh, different bots and converting them into a skill so that that way you can plug it directly into an existing um, an existing bot so that's kind of a key thing for us yeah, and I think it's worth highlighting. It, it's really straightforward to take an existing bot and convert it into a skill. Uh, as I said before, a skill is just a bot. It just ex- exposes information about itself so that it can be called by your, your core, uh, virtual assistant core. The other thing to call out uh, for folks who've been using the bot framework for a while is obviously we're, we're in V4 of the bot framework right now, but there was obviously V3 before that, and there are plenty of people out there who've made existing investments there. And one of the things we've done over the last couple of releases is we've made it possible for you to not only turn any V4 bot into a skill, but you can also turn any V3 bot into a skill. So if you've already made investments into those multiple bots and some are in V3 and some are in V4, you can absolutely bring all of those investments over and plug them into a core virtual assistant. That's great. Now, the next thing there is when I first saw this, I know that the Power Platform has a Power Virtual Assistant, and now we're talking about our Virtual Assistant Solution Accelerator. Is this this? Well, clearly it's not the same thing, but from an you know an end user perspective or a non developer, is it the same concepts? Well, so the the concept of a bot framework skill is actually supported by Power Virtual Agents, and Power Virtual Agents is built on bot framework just the same as Virtual Assistant um, is built on top of it. The really what you're looking at is you have to look at who am I and, and what am I trying to accomplish, right? So if you're a citizen developer, which would be someone who really isn't a developer, it's just like a uh, person that works in a line of business, you're not really going to be able to just fire up, uh, a, you know, Visual Studio or Composer and start building your own, your own skill. It would be a little more difficult for you to do that, just like uh, Power Apps is an example versus Visual Studio. In the case of what we're doing right now, Power Virtual Agents is really targeted at that citizen developer. It supports the ability to plug in a bot framework skill. So if you have something you can't accomplish within Power Virtual Agents, you can very easily just create a skill or have a developer create a skill and be able to plug that right in. So, so 
think of it that there's definitely some edges there that you will find limitations in what you can do inside of Power Virtual Agents because it's not really targeted at the power user. But as we move toward bot framework and you start looking at things like Composer, which we'll talk more about in a minute, you start getting into the tools that allow you to really flex your muscles and use the bot framework in its full capacity uh, and be able to have you know no edges. You can bring the code you want and you don't have to think about just a low code to no code experience that you would have in PVA. You would have the ability to go full code if you want or have a little bit lower code experiences inside of uh, Composer. So I tend to say citizen developer, PVA is a great tool for you to use. If you start getting into power user um, and you start getting into developer territory, you're going to really find that it might be a little confining in that space. It, it could be quick to build something quick if you need to. But then if you move over into bot framework and into composer, you basically all the walls come down and you have the ability to go as far as you want to go. Um, but with it, with increased uh, capability, of course, there's increased complexity. And so it's just one of those things that you have to manage yourself. So the key sentence I, I heard out of that is I have a bot framework skill and my users who might be in Power Virtual Agent can call my skill. That's yes. So I'm drawing an analogy to the rest of the Power Platform where I kind of a connector to a line of business system that I can expose. I can do a similar model, if you will. I, I really kind of like that to, you know, let developers do the hard bits and let the, the people who are on the front lines of the business do what they need to do to run the business. I, I kind of like that. That's great. Now, you mentioned Composer. And so I know we mentioned uh, or talked a little bit about Composer when it first uh, was acquired by Microsoft back around Ignite. So w can we give folks a, was a refresher on Composer and who is the target audience for that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Composer, I think, was um, you know one of our biggest announcements uh, this year at Build. It's now generally available. Um, and Composer is our visual authoring canvas uh, for developers to design and build um, conversational experiences. Uh, and again, this is all entirely built on top of the, the bot framework SDK. But now, rather than you needing to um, write everything in code, you've got a, a visual editor where you can construct the flow of your conversation so you can um, send and receive messages you can call external services via http request if you need to um, integrate with uh, with other systems you can uh, branch within your conversational uh, logic as well so you can do if else statements or switch statements um, to actually manage your conversational logic but Really, the more important thing, because you can obviously do all of those things within code as well, the really important thing about Composer is the fact that it brings together um, many different components uh, that you use every day when building bots into a single interface. So not only can you actually design your conversation, but you can also manage things like your language understanding model, your Lewis model, um, the cognitive service uh, used for NLP. Um, you will you'll be able to very easily uh, plug into uh, Q&A maker knowledge base and call out to that as well. Um, and then from within Composer, you can then very, very easily deploy your bot up into Azure, or you can even just eject the code because underneath when you're using Composer, you're actually working on a real bot that's built using the SDK 
And if any time, if you really need to customize the runtime, the, you know, the bot that's running underneath, you can just eject that um, uh, from Composer and just uh, edit, you know, continue to, to edit within the code if you want to, or continue within Composer. So for example, I know that some folks might want to add a custom adapter into their bot so that they can surface it on a channel that's not yet supported within Azure Bot Service. So you could eject your code, add a custom adapter, um, and then from that point forward, continue on in Composer. So Composer's uh, really, really exciting. We've seen a, uh, a great uh, uptake um, from developers. Everybody's extremely excited, and we find it's very useful for multidisciplinary teams as well. And underneath, it's worth calling out, underneath Composer is our Adaptive Dialogues. And Adaptive Dialogues is something within the SDK that went generally available at Build as well. Adaptive Dialogues is really the next generation of Dialogues for those of you who've worked with bots for a while. And what they um, allow you to do is really, uh, without going into too much detail, they allow you to really handle those more complex conversational scenarios like disambiguation, context switching. So things that would have been very complex to handle and very you know labor intensive to handle uh, during, if you were building using the traditional dialogue stack. So things like waterfall dialogues, which are you know really quite sequential in nature. You can now use adaptive dialogues, which is an event-based system. And so um, Composer actually is built on top of adaptive dialogues and handles all of that for you. Um, and what you what you get because of that is a, a much richer capability out of the box when it comes to uh, building your um, uh, your bot or your virtual assistant. Uh, we use a, an example on this just to give you kind of perspective if you're kind of uh, new to the concept of waterfall or adaptive. If you were just as a an example of a scenario is let's say that you were ordering a pizza and you got to a point in it where it was asking you about the ingredients that you wanted on the top. Um, being able to then say, oh, actually change the crust to a different thing. The conversation being adaptive actually can go back and understand what you said and then go, oh, and what toppings will you want? So that you go back to right where you were. But you can also say, say that it asked you when you wanted it delivered and assume that you had a skill enabled for something like your calendar. And maybe you wanted to check your calendar to see, well, what time do I want to get it delivered? So you could say, well, what's on my schedule today? And then it would be able to handle that. So all of that working together in conjunction with the skills and the context switching and everything just being something sort of native that just kind of comes in is something that is really powerful and, and kind of what Gary's talking about as we start getting into the world of adaptive. And I, I would call out that as far as the Bot Framework SDK team is concerned, the best tool to be able to use, to be able to do adaptive, while you could code it, it would be very difficult to code uh, manually. So what you can look at is Composer, and Composer really takes a lot of that heavy lifting out for you as well when it comes to the development side. So it's just kind of give you guys an idea of what, uh, what we mean by adaptive versus waterfall. And so it sounds that the composer really is for someone who understands these bot concepts and conversation design, I think is what I heard one of you mentioned, right? So it's, it seems to me that it's more of a bot specific or someone with bot specific knowledge is going to have more success than just a, a drag and drop designer for anybody. Is that a fair statement? I would say that um, it 
takes down any doors. If you wanted to get really advanced, you could. But I would also say that um, you don't have to be a super advanced developer to use it. Uh, it does have a good visual element to it. You know, if you understand some basic bot concepts, um, then you'll be able to be able to pull together um, some pretty impressive conversations uh, without having to do a lot of uh, necessarily writing code. So it's kind of the in-between and the power user to the full-on developer tool, um, where on the PVA side, like we said before, is really targeted at someone who wants to write zero code. Yeah, and I think it's it's fair to say, actually, that you, you do, I, I really want to call out that you don't have to be a developer to use Composer. As I said before, multidisciplinary teams can use this as well. So it really doesn't take too long to get um, up to speed with the fundamentals of uh, building bots. Now, obviously, it can take a lifetime to become uh, an, you know, a, a true expert in conversational design, and none of us have had that much time. But I think, it, you know, I've seen various stakeholders in different companies. So everybody from the design team and the UX team, so the people who are actually designing the experience, so non-technical users, they've used Composer, right through to your developers. So I think it's um, it's important to call out that, yes, you're probably going to need, it's fair to say you'll need more knowledge than you would do if you were a true citizen or non-technical user using Power Virtual Agents. But by no means is Composer a really sort of high barrier to entry. It's really not. And the great thing about it is the, the team behind Composer have spent so much time crafting the experience so that you can become effective as quickly as possible when you open that tool. Um, it's uh, You installed it as an Electron app. It's also available as an open source web app, but one thing that's changed since we last spoke is it's now um, you download and install Composer as an Electron app. And from the moment you open it and install, uh, install the app and open it up, you then get some uh, really quick uh, samples that demonstrate the key capabilities. So the samples in there that will show you how to use language on understanding and Lewis. There'll be some basic samples in there showing you how to build a simple to-do app. And I know, you know, there's a lot of people out there who will, um, you know, say, oh, not another to-do app. But you know what? The reason these samples are so uh, common is because they're a really effective way of showing you how to build something because everybody knows what a to-do app is. And so we actually can show you right from the get-go how you would build that within Composer. Yeah, and I would even add that uh, one of the recent drops has actually added even instructional videos in, inside of it so that you can go and get quick tutorials to get you going so that you can understand certain things like just user state, conversation state, things like that. And as soon as you understand those type of things, it's really a low barrier of entry to be able to start building uh, basic bots very quickly inside of Composer. And you mentioned it's a... Electron app I can install. And so is there a multi-user story? I mean, I, you said I can eject code and obviously if I have code, I can put it in source control, but is its native format something that can also be shared amongst the, a team who's working on a bot? Yeah, so within Composer, when you when you open up a, a bot within Composer, you're just simply picking a, a directory on your file system. So that could be a shared directory. I think most people are going to be working in the same way they would work on a, um, a shared code base, right? So I open Composer, I open my, uh, my bot. Um, because that's just on disk, it's a real bot on disk, I can check that into source control. Someone else can do the same thing on their machine. I mean, the, re the way to think about this is it really is an 
IDE for bots. Uh, it's just a specialized IDE. And underneath, you can still check that code in. You can um, merge that code within your uh, favorite you know, um, merge tool. The other thing about adaptive dialogues is they are um, they have a declarative format. So they're actually um, uh, on disk in files. So you can go and open up a, a, a dialogue file um, and you will see a declarative representation of the bot that you've built within Composer. And that means, again, that you can uh, source control that file. It's not necessarily, it's not C-sharp. It's, um, it's a declarative format. And it means that you can do merging within a code editor um, quite easily. And, and now that declarative format, is that something that the bot framework or, or the SDK will handle for me? Or do I have to write some code then to, to process that declarative bits? No, so within the SDK, there are there's a new dialogue manager which will allow you to uh, load in those declarative formats. But under the hood, when you uh, create a new bot within Composer, all of that's configured for you within that bot. So you should never really have to touch that code. It's there for you. We do offer that code in the SDK. So for example, if you built a if you have an existing V4 bot um, right now, and then you go and build a dialogue in Composer, you could, in theory, if you wanted to export those assets from Composer, actually take those declarative assets and then read those in um, and ingest them within your existing v4 bot that you didn't build with Composer. because um, so, And you can mix and match. So you can mix the you know more traditional dialogues with the adaptive dialogues. I think the, the important thing to say is Composer is an editor for these files. You could write them by hand. You wouldn't want to, but you could do. You could code them as well. But the additional complexity that comes with the adaptive dialogues um, is is definitely taken away by Composer. It's definitely the recommended approach uh, for building bots, uh, certainly with the, the new adaptive stack. One great thing to point out is something that we put into preview a build called um, generated dialogues. And this is a, a brand new CLI tool um, that will allow you to if anybody worked with um, V3 of the bot framework, they probably remember something called Formflow. And it's basically where you can specify, hey, I want to build a piece of my conversation. And it, within this conversation, I want to collect the following pieces of information from a, a user. So in, in the case of a sandwich ordering bot, for example, I'd need to know the type of bread. And maybe I've only got a limited number. So maybe I've got you know, white, brown, rye, etc. Um, I'm going to need the fillings. So maybe I've got a list of various fillings that I can offer. Um, I'll need the size. I'll need any sides that go with the sandwich. Now, if I wanted to go and build that conversation myself within Composer, I could do a great job of that. And Composer is going to really help me get on with that. But it's I'm still going to have to think through the ability of context switching. So Whilst in Composer, I could very quickly build a sequential flow where I say, hey, what kind of bread would you like? And they give me the bread. And then I say, hey, what kind of fillings would you like? And then they give me a filling. And I say, would you need to add any more? Um, and I, I go through them sequentially until I have all of the information I need. The great thing about adaptive dialogues being um, event-based means that we can now um, trigger parts of your conversation um, based on not only intent that we see and information that we see in the last message that you've um, sent in to the bot, but we can also um, uh, trigger a different parts of our conversation based on the context of knowing what information we already have and what information we're looking for. Now, let me give you a really concrete example of this. Let's say I uh, said, 
in the sandwich bot, start off by saying, what's your name? And I say, Wheat. Now, Wheat is not my name, but in a dumb, uh, you know, a, a dumb bot that we were maybe building a few years ago, it would say, good to meet you, Wheat. What kind of bread would you like? Um, whereas now, um, using um, the, uh, you, you want to be designing your conversations to look out for things like that. And what we should say is something along the lines of, oh, did you mean Wheat was your name or Wheat is the bread that you want for your sandwich? Um, and the new generated dialogues uh, CLI tool will actually allow you to specify a schema in JSON, uh, defining the pieces of information that you want to collect. So bread, here are the different types, here are the different fillings, etc. And then from that schema, you run that through the CLI tool and it's gonna generate your um, adaptive dialogue assets, your language understanding assets, so your Lewis model, um, and also what we call um, LG, so language generation files. Um, and all of these are things that Composer um, can, um, will, uh, create underneath when you're building bots in Composer. But what the generated dialogues tool will do for you is actually build a whole series of dialogues to handle things like the situation I just mentioned. So disambiguation, context switching, you know, maybe you get to the end of your order and you just say, you know, add, um, add ham. It's going to understand that ham is a filling. It's going to understand that that wants to be added to the, the sandwich that you just created. But I could say that at any point in my conversation. So generated dialogues is definitely something to look out for. Um, and the idea is once this uh, makes it through to GA, that you'll be able to open up those assets in Composer once they've been generated for you and then tweak them as you need. That's a fascinating approach. I really kind of like that, right? Let me as a as a... The developer in my organization focus on what I'm trying to accomplish and all the complexities of understanding language, I can defer to the Microsoft experts. I, that's I'm excited to see that. Now, the generated dialogues is is out now, you said, or is that in preview? I can't remember what you what you mentioned there. Yeah, so it's 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 in preview. It's a preview tool. Uh, we're updating it all the time. It's in uh, GitHub. We'll share the link in the links for the uh, for the podcast. Um, definitely worth going to check it out because effectively what we're trying to do with generated dialogues is the same thing that we have aimed to achieve with um, the virtual assistant. It's understanding, taking all of the knowledge that we've built up as best practices in conversation. So making sure that you handle things like context switching and you don't just say. I don't understand, or you don't do something really obviously wrong, um, which was very common um, and still is in conversational experiences. A lot of them are still very, very rigid. So we're taking all the experience that we've built up and we're packaging that up so that you do not have to really think too hard about the fundamentals in the same way that the virtual assistant will make sure that you've got the right capabilities for cancellation, welcoming a, a user, understanding how to route requests between the different skills that you've got plugged in. We're trying to take that away so that you can just focus on the domain specific pieces of your job. I love the vision here, and then thanks so much for, for both of you explaining that. But now there's a couple of disambiguation items that I want to clear up, right? So when I hear virtual assistant, I'm thinking of the ones issued by Google or Amazon. Do you guys work at all with the with the consumer assistants that are out in the market? Yeah, so this has been a common theme um, for, for us for a while uh, when we've been talking with customers around, uh, you know, Azure Bot Service right now uh, supports uh, Teams and web chat and Skype and 
you know, a, a whole host of different channels. One of the common asks that we've had for a while is the ability to support the common virtual assistants. So things like the um, the Amazon Echo Dots, and I'm, I'm not going to say it but in case I send everybody's machines wild. But what we've um, what we've actually done um, built is we added the ability. We've added a new preview channel to Azure Bot Service for Amazon Alexa. There I said it, and uh, the new channel will allow you in a few minutes in the same way that you can enable teams very very quickly uh, for your bot you can now enable the uh, the popular home assistant as well uh, and interact with your bot via voice and so this is in public preview right now you can if you if you already have an existing bot and you navigate to the bot within azure you'll see the channel listed so you can just enable it immediately um, and um, it's been it's been a great um story for us because it's been a common ask from our customers it was something that was actually built as part of the bot builder community project um you know some time ago now probably coming on two years ago um and i i built that out um, before i joined microsoft um as part of starting the uh, the bot builder community um and so it, it's it's great to see just another example of us responding to customer demands um and i think it's um it's a great addition to Azure bot service yeah, and, and I would add, uh, kind of think of it that part of the goal for us, where we were kind of looking at this from a vision standpoint, is to kind of be the Xamarin or the flutter of conversational AI. You know, it's, you can build build on our platform and be able to take it wherever you need it to go. And we've actually had a few different customers that have uh, come to us that were actually abandoning uh, both. Uh, I, I refer to it as Lady A uh, and uh, <laughs> and the other assistants, because the issue was the return on investment and being able to maintain code bases for all these different uh, assistants out there was just too much. And so they were looking for, well, how can we be able to build these things in a way where we can get better monetization while not having to maintain multiple uh, code bases. And so we, we did work with some of them to prove out the concept and being able to do this. And we have a few customers that are looking at taking that pattern, um, but also be aware that as you look at virtual assistant, we, we see a lot of adoption coming from things like automobiles. We see um, uh, and a different IOT devices that are like, like cable set-top boxes and all these other places that you can in, incorporate it. And so think of it that when you're building your skill, you're not just building it for just the major assistants, but you're building it to be able to also be embedded into any other assistant that's built on top of uh, our platform as well and enabling it across all these different channels. And so just keep in mind that that's uh, just kind of some of the value adds that come with it, uh, as well as think about enterprise assistance. So you build your food service uh, solution, for example, on uh, with our as a skill. You can incorporate it into all of the different major assistants, but you could also allow an enterprise to plug it in and be able to order food for a conference room, right? So these are all like very powerful things as we start to go forward and really open up the doors for all of our customers and developers around the world. 
Yeah, and I, I think just one more thing to follow up there as well is, you know, I mentioned the fact that the um, Lady A um, uh, started as, a, as an adapter within the bot builder community. And you're likely to see more channels added to uh, Azure Bot Service over time. But you always have the option of either using a pre-existing adapter from the community, um, an adapter within our SDK. So we have a few of them coming into uh, general availability in our next release. Uh, so for things like um, WebEx for Teams and uh, Twilio. But within the community, we've also recently added adapters for um, WhatsApp via a company called Infobip um, and also Zoom. So you can now, you know, theoretically go and build a bot that sits uh, in Teams and works in Teams. But hey, if you've got some of your customers who want to consume your bot and they're using Zoom, just go and plug the Zoom adapter in and it'll work over there as well. So as as Dwayne said, it very much is the, the Xamarin of, of virtual assistants. That's all fascinating stuff. And it, it sounds to me that I need to call you guys back on after the next uh, big conference because there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, and you know, and we're, we're running low on time here. So we all the millions of questions I have, we'll, we'll table for another day. But let, let's just end it on. Is there any other interesting things that folks should be aware of that we haven't discussed already? I know you've covered a lot of the adapters and this virtual consumer assistance, but any other tidbits that folks should be aware of that I forgot to ask about? Yeah, I think the one I would definitely call out is, um, you know, we've, we've said that the Virtual Assistant Solution Accelerator is available in GitHub in gem- and it's generally available now. And that's um, built using code on the Bot Framework SDK. What we also have made available in preview at Build is a composer version of the Virtual Assistant. And this is really giving folks a glimpse into the future of Virtual Assistant. If anybody didn't manage to catch our Build session, it was uh, demoed as part of that. And we can put a link to that build session um, in the notes as well um, and this is really showing you um, how the virtual assistant can um, is migrating over to composer based and adaptive based and the the core and then the the first party skills are all built with composer as well so you can actually download them open them up in composer edit them if you want to um, but i would definitely encourage folks to go and check that out Excellent. Look forward to that. And thank you both for coming on the show. And uh, we'll chat again uh, at the next big release. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast. And check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 